Ladies and gentlemen, fellas, 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 lady fellas, what's going on? Everybody, Sal Vetri here, and today we're going to be breaking down the breakout wide receivers for 2020 fantasy football. I'm feeling good, like I should, if you know that song, great song, but I got the new haircut, right? We've been in quarantine for months now, went to the barber, it was very nice, it was set up very safely, I was absolutely blown away by the experience, forgot how great it was to get a nice fresh cut. If you're out there and you know what it feels like to go to the barber, feel yourself in the car right after, you blast some Bon Jovi or whatever your type of feel-good music is on the way home, whether it's raining, whether it's sunny, it doesn't matter, your mood cannot be knocked. So that's how I'm feeling right now. We're about to talk about breakout wide receivers, so another positive thing, another fun thing, another exciting thing, a rocket ship to the moon with these wide receivers this year that will have the advantage of being on early. Hopefully that means we actually get them and and we're taking them as values. And if we have to reach a little bit, it's fine because we know they're going to be breakout wide receivers. I'm going to give you four breakout wide receivers today, and then I'll list about three honorable mentions. So relax as always, take your shoes off. I'm kicking off my slippers right now as I'm speaking, just getting a little bit cozy as we deep dive into these breakout receivers. So if you're brand new here, that's what we do. We kick back, we relax, we go deep diving into players, spend about six to seven hours per video on this analysis, getting it all prepped for you to present it in a way that makes sense, is very clear, straightforward, and gets my point across. And if you've seen a previous video of mine, or if you're enjoying the content at some point during this video, please do take a second to hit that like button, smash the subscribe button as I come through your computer screen real quick, and hit the notification bell. Those things allow this channel to grow, which at the end of the day makes it realistic for me to be putting this much time and work and effort into something, so it actually means that I could do it sustainably. And what that pretty much just means is I can do this as my career and have been doing it, so thank you so much. I appreciate all the support there. And real quick, before we get into it, I'll just say the question of the day, as we always do, get into the comment section, interact. There's a Discord chat that's totally free. Pop up a little banner right now. You can hop into that. If you don't know what Discord is, it's just a place where people communicate, chat. You don't have to write anything if you don't want. You can just see the questions that people are getting answered by myself and others in the community, or you can answer. You can write in there. You just ask your own questions. You can just talk make some mock drafts, whatever you want to do in there, just a community of like-minded people trying to build that. So that's down below. But the question of the day today, would you rather have Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, Ravens, number one wide receiver, I guess we can call it if you're not counting tight ends, or would you rather have Debo Samuel on the 49ers? These guys are pretty close, both second year players. They're pretty ranked similarly in ADPs. A lot of people are high on both of them. So would you rather have Hollywood Brown or Debo Samuel for 2020 fantasy football? Get active in the comments. Give me your answer. Give me your explanation why right now. And now let's get into this video. So we're going to be starting off with Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley. He's an former Alabama product. He was picked in the first round. Very similar to all these things to his counterpart on the opposite side of the field, former Alabama product picked in the first round in Julio Jones. Now, last year, Calvin Ridley only was able to play 13 games before he finished the season with an injury. He played on 80.9% of the snaps. He caught 63 balls for over 850 yards and seven touchdowns on 93 targets and ended up being just 17.7% of the target share, which is is, is not terrible. It's actually a fine number. But when you're looking at breakout candidates, you might be saying, ah, Sal, he he didn't even see 20% of the target share. Well, this is exactly why he's a breakout candidate. I'll break down into some of the splits for you. So you can see right here a few things. I'll go down through a bunch of different splits for you. You can see Matt Jeski's tweet that says pretty much the last half of the season before he got injured weeks eight through 14, a lot of that, and pretty much most of it all without Mohamed Sanu, you can see the split start to change. He sees 4% more in his target share. His air yards actually went up by 7%. If you're not familiar, that's just where the quarterback releases the ball, the line of scrimmage to the point that the ball actually drops. Completed air yards are just how much there is released compared to when the ball is actually caught. Targets per game went up by about 0.7. So that's a decent amount around one more per 
per game. And then receiving yards was the huge one. His receiving yards end up going up by about 25 and a half yards per game. That was the big one. Now it's the final half of the season. So you're starting to see these trends. But when does he really start to pop off? I have it broken down here. You can see on the screen now by the final four games. He had 27 receptions for 395 yards and 36 targets. This led all Atlanta receivers in his final four games, not the final four games of the season because he was hurt the final three, the final four games of his season. And yes, this means Julio Jones as well. He led all Atlanta receivers, and we could say Julio Jones by 10 receptions, 173 yards, and 10 more targets. He averaged a 22% target share over his final four games compared to his seasonal target share of 17%. 22%, it's not approaching elite territory like Julio's 25 to 30% target share or many elite receivers, but anytime you're above 20%, you have a very strong grasp on your team's target share, and his was increasing by the week. Now, some splits without some key players that are no longer going to be there, right? He had three games without both Austin Hooper on the field and Muhammad Sanu when Hooper was injured for three games last year and Sanu was shipped out. He averaged 22 and a half fantasy points per game. I mean, that's close to Michael Thomas type levels. Now, it was only a three game small sample, but that's not just the production that he had. And I'll throw up the additions and subtractions. It's not just like Mohamed Sanu is leaving and Austin Hooper is leaving and nothing's going to fill those voids. I mean, arguably Hayden Hurst coming in is an upgrade to Austin Hooper. In my opinion, he is. Russell Gage, a younger receiver, is arguably an upgrade to Mohamed Sanu at this point in their careers. I would argue based on experience, based on Sanu's just expertise out of the slot in this specific Atlanta's offense, a plus size slot receiver, like a Chris Godwin, if you will. I would argue that Russell Gage just moving right into it isn't going to be an, an exact carbon copy. So it's going to help Ridley. It might actually allow Ridley to get into the slot more, which is even better, more efficiency when you're running out of the slot against worse cornerbacks when you get to use both sides of the fields. If you're a good receiver and you're in the slot, you can very much pick apart a defense. So some other things from Ridley's year last year, he had 15 fantasy points per game, which ranked 18th. But again, there were splits where he was averaging 17.8 fantasy points per game without Sanu for the second half of the season. So that was a bump up that would actually put him right around a top 10 wide receiver. There was that split with the three games that he averaged 22 and a half fantasy points without Hooper and Sanu. That would have put him as like the number two receiver in fantasy, obviously very small sample, but he was 17th in fantasy points per target. Atlanta actually passed the most per game. They might not duplicate that. It's hard to ever duplicate any type of statistic, but if you are going to be looking at Atlanta, they always pretty much profile out as a top 10 passing offense and borderline top five passing offense when it comes to volume and just overall production. He was fifth in target quality. He saw 66.6 yards per game, and he only played out of the slot on 11.7% of his snaps. I'm not expecting him to just become a slot wide receiver out there, uh, but they did sign Laquan Treadwell. And anytime Laquan Treadwell's on the field, there is a good chance that if they're in three wide receiver sets, 11 personnel, that it's Treadwell on the outside. It's Hayden Hurst on the field. It's going to be a running back in the backfield, likely Todd Gurley. Julio Jones on the opposite outside, and that leaves a slot open for Calvin Ridley over Russell Gage. Now, if Laquan Treadwell, for some reason, just doesn't get a lot of playing time, and maybe they just don't like him as much, well, then you're going to have probably what they run out there the most, in my opinion, at least what I'm expecting, Julio and Ridley on the outside with Russell Gage in the slot, Todd Gurley in the backfield. But there will be some snaps. I mean, if Laquan Treadwell plays 20% of the snaps, that's nothing crazy. But if he was to, that's probably a good chance that Calvin Ridley is going to be moving into the slot for more than 10% of the time like he did last year. And that's always going to be a benefit when a good receiver goes into the slot at allows for that breakout to happen. It allows for them to pick up easier yards and get easier separation against worse cornerbacks and use the entire field and really start to, if you have any sort of route running ability, really start to generate some huge, huge, massive separation. He's going to have Matt Ryan throwing to him. Matt Ryan was third in attempts last year, third in red zone attempts. He's just been cool Matt, Matty Ice, right? He's been a consistent borderline top 10 quarterback since he's pretty much entered the league or a couple of years into the league. For fantasy purposes, he's always been able to support your fantasy players, himself included. Maybe it's because they play almost all their games in a dome because of the divisions that they play in, plus 
their own, obviously, eight games at home in their dome. He averaged 297.7 yards per game and had 26 touchdowns last year. So those are good numbers. One that is not good, he was 26th in protection. So his rate protection, his pressure rate was 26. That's not good. They drafted two first round picks last year. One of them was an absolute bust that they probably reached on towards the end of the first round. And then the second one ended up getting hurt and missed, I believe, Lindstrom missed like the first 12 or 13 games. When he came back, he looked decent. So we'll see with those first round picks moving into their second year, if they can take steps forward. But just in general, when you're missing one of your first round picks for pretty much the entire season, you pick up some pieces in the draft slash free agency. This offensive line should be much better than a borderline bottom five unit that it was last year. So I'll put up the rest of the additions and subtractions in the offseason. Like I said, they got Laquad and Treadwell. None of these things are going to dramatically impact Calvin Ridley. If anything, getting Laquan Treadwell, in my opinion, helps him. Yes, Laquan Treadwell is pretty much a burner, former Minnesota Viking on the outside. I think that actually whenever he's on the field, if they're running three wide receiver sets and not two wide receiver sets, which they don't really have any tight end depth. So I assume they're going to run a lot of 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets. Anytime Treadwell's on the field, I imagine they're going to be putting Ridley into the slot. So if anything, the acquisition of Laquan Treadwell being a primary outside receiver, I believe actually helps Calvin Ridley. They get Hayden Hurst and Todd Gurley, which I think are both upgrades to the people that they lost in Devonta Freeman and Austin Hooper. They get Kerry Lee, who I guess would be the tight end depth there, but Kerry Lee, not as much of a pass catcher as he is going to be a run blocker. So Justin McCray helps the offensive line. They get Matt Hennessy, a center in the third round, really the only offensive player they took, as you can see on the draft board. So that's pretty much what they did in the offseason. I thought it was a safe offseason. They didn't shoot their shot. They didn't get CD Lamb when they could have had just an absolute elite passing unit. And now the Cowboys have that, right? If you're talking about CD Lamb in the slot, Ridley and, and Julio on the outside with Todd Gurley in the backfield, Hayden Hurst. I mean, that sounds fantastic. No knock on Russell Gage, who will probably be the primary slot receiver. But man, oh man, putting CD Lamb in there. Oh, it's a totally different offense at that point. But they kind of play possum and they don't end up doing that. And they take a bad defensive pick, in my opinion, instead of CD Lamb. But the durability, he missed the final three games last year with the abdominal strain. That's pretty much it. Now he's going to be entering his third year. We know what he did in his first year, broke out with just touchdowns left and right. He was a DraftKings darling at like a 3K price point or something really insanely low uh, when he ended up just scoring like two touchdowns. And I think his first or second week in the league, Tyler Boyd that same week two years ago. But anyways, the target competition is going to be Julio Jones, Hayden Hurst, Russell Gage, and Laquan Treble. Those will be probably the primary wide receivers ahead of him and Julio and behind him and Russell Gage and Laquan Treble. And then Hayden Hurst should be on the field for a good amount of that time as well at the tight end position. Now we know what Julio is coming into his 10th year. He's going to have to fall off at some point. I mean, I love Julio Jones, but everybody falls off. Whether you're Reggie Wayne, it doesn't matter who you are. Torrey Holt, uh, it doesn't matter. Jerry Rice, everybody, Calvin Johnson, they're all going to fall off. Calvin Johnson probably retired too soon, but Julio Jones in 2019, 80% of the snaps, just under 1,400 yards with 1,394. He had six touchdowns on 156 targets. He continued to dominate. It seemed like a bad season. I'll keep saying it for Julio. And he still had 99 receptions, almost 1,400 yards and six touchdowns on a 25.7% target share. But here's the thing. I'm not expecting and I'm not projecting it. I mean, Julio is my number three wide receiver this year in my current rankings, but he's going to fall off some point. If it's not this year, it's next year. And falling off doesn't mean he just starts to have 700 receiving yards. No, he can just miss two, three games. He missed a game last year. He might miss two or three games this year, three or four. You don't just play for 10 plus years and, and never really have, and I know he's been having these foot injuries, but never have a sharp decline. Now, unless you're Tom Brady and you're totally different playing a different position, but with the amount of wear and tear on Julio's tires, I'm not going to project it to happen this year, but I'm just saying there's added risk in there for Julio Jones this year, which only helps Calvin Ridley. Russell Gage should be moving out of the slot. Russell Gage actually saw eight targets per game his final six weeks. Now, three of those weeks, half of them, there was no Calvin Ridley. So he was kind of the second option on this team at the wide receiver position behind Julio because there was no Sanu for the final half of the season as well. But he did see eight targets per game over the final six weeks. Pretty good. He played on 48.7% of the snaps, 49 receptions. He had about a 12.9% target share 
on what was a total of 74 targets. He caught one touchdown and he also dropped a touchdown. And then they acquire Hayden Hurst. They lose Austin Hooper. Hooper missed three games and he was still a top six tight end. That's how good and how much this offense passed last year. There's a decent connection, but Hooper just had nothing after the catch. He was kind of just this bigger body tight end that can get separation in, in his defense, but couldn't do much after that. Whereas Hayden Hurst is just athletically gifted. Speed score is absolutely elite coming out of college. He has the first round draft capital when he was with Baltimore. And now they're getting a guy who was efficient last year. Sixth in yards per route run among tight ends in Hayden Hurst. Seventh in yards per target. So this guy was extremely efficient at getting separation and doing things after that. So had a very good pass rating when targeted as well from Lamar. Now you're going to be putting him in the least passing offense to the number one passing offense. Hayden Hurst looks like an absolute smash to me when it comes to fantasy this year. And that could hurt Calvin Ridley, right? You had Austin Hooper producing at top 10 fantasy tight end numbers last year. If this offense is big enough to support a tight end one, a wide receiver one in Julio Jones, and then also make Calvin Ridley a breakout wide receiver, which right now, if you're getting him at an average draft position around like a top 20 receivers where he's going right around wide receiver 18, wide receiver 20, but you start to take him in your top 15, which I have him as my wide receiver 14. Yes, his breakout is that he would finish in the top 10 or borderline top 12 or the top 15, which is overshooting projections right now from a lot of people. So yeah, I like Calvin Ridley as a breakout option this year. He is my breakout candidate number one. Real quick, if I can get you to hit that like button on the YouTube version and smash that subscribe on YouTube here and then also on the podcast. It really does help me just reach more people, whether it is on the podcast version or mainly here on the YouTube algorithm. Hitting the subscribe button during the videos really shows YouTube that you're enjoying it, shows it to more people and that notification bell so you can know when all of my content drops. Let's get into me, Cole Hardman. My number two breakout candidate is the Kansas City Chiefs speedster, second year player, former second round pick from the 2019 draft in me, Cole Hardman. In 2019, he played 16 games. He only played on 43% of the snaps because his team was just loaded. You have Travis Kelsey, you have Tyreek Hill, you have Sammy Watkins, and you even have the Marcus Robinson. And so uh, the kid actually had to work his way onto the team. Although week one, he actually outsnapped Demarcus Robinson, only the one of two times that he did it during the regular season. He also did it during the AFC championship game. But then after that, he kind of didn't, although he had a successful week one, in my opinion. So he had 26 receptions, 538 yards, six touchdowns on 41 targets, just a 7.3% market share of targets in Kansas City. But check out these crazy stats that I'm putting up on the board. 7.1 fantasy points per game. Very meh, right? I mean, in all honesty, he was the wide receiver four on this team. And when you factor in Travis Kelsey's role, he was the wide receiver five on this team. So he had a league high 20.7 yards per reception. He was just targeted down the field, very efficient. He had a league high 13.1 yards per target. He was third in the entire NFL in target separation. These are all very good numbers for a rookie. He was number one when targeted in terms of QBR. Patrick Mahomes QBR quarterback rating was the highest in the entire NFL when he targeted the man named McCole Harmon. And he was number one in fantasy points per target with an insanely whopping 2.77. Unreal. So why did he do it? Because the rookie's an absolute speed demon. He ran a 4-3-3, 40 his speed score is in the top 74 percentile. He's just an absolute beast out there. And they just didn't give him enough snaps. Demarcus Robinson had a really good week too, which kind of just floated him on the field, especially since he knew the system for a couple more weeks. Even when you had guys like Sammy Watkins dealing with injury, even when you had guys like Tyree Kill going down with injury, McCole Hartman just still couldn't seem to find his way onto the field for anything more than outside of two or three weeks, 50% of the snaps. And I'll throw up Ian Hart's tweet here as we close out kind of the crazy stats. But guys, McCole Hartman just averaged the most yards per target from a rookie, if you'll excuse the low 41 total of targets. Yeah, so he had 41 targets, so it's a low total, but he averaged the most of all time yards per target from a rookie, and he was up there in yards per reception at 20.7. I believe that might have been the most as well, so absolutely insane. Now, what are the things that are going to be holding back, and what are some of the positives that we've gotten, at least from the offseason, for McCole Harmon's role with the Chiefs? Well, the things that kind of stink are that Sammy Watkins restructured his contract after last year's Super Bowl. He was talking about retirement. He was talking about how he's not going to take a pay cut, and then he restructures his contract. He takes a huge pay cut, and now he can stay with the team for, I believe, another year, and now you have 
Robinson, who it didn't seem like they were going to resign to Marcus Robinson since they have McCall Harbin, they have Hill, they have Kelsey, they already just restructured Sammy Watkins. And now Robinson goes and signs a one year deal. So now it's the same exact wide receivers coming in. It's the exact same offense coming in outside of adding Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the draft. So it's a better offense, if anything. I mentioned last year that McCall Harmon ran as the wide receiver four on this team. Although week one, he did play on about 70 plus percent of the snaps. In week 11, he also outsnapped Demarcus Robinson, but then he didn't outsnap him at any other point in the regular season. But the thing that is encouraging is that in the AFC championship game, high stakes game, they put McCole Harmon out there more so than the Marcus Robinson. It's also worth pointing out that McCole Harmon's played special teams for the Chiefs last year, which just naturally, whenever you play special teams, unless you're the elite of the elite, like Antonio Brown, you're probably going to see a knock on your offensive role since you're just getting more playing time there. Now, some of the recent news on this special teams is kind of encouraging. You can see the blurb from Roto World that I have on the board right now. Chief special teams coach Dave Taub said that he's not sure about McCole Harmon continuing his role as the team's primary returner. And then if you read into that a little bit more, it's saying that pretty much if you read between the lines, there's a chance and there's probably the possibility and likelihood that McCole Harmon's snap count and overall role in the Chiefs offensive side of the ball, not special teams, is going to increase. And when that happens, it means you're more of a priority. And it means that if you're on the special teams unit, that just adds more risk and that they don't need you there and they don't need to put you at risk on special teams if they're increasing your role on offense. So that's good. Now, what are the Chiefs doing in the offseason overall? Will any of it impact McCole Harmon? Well, I mean, to be completely honest with you, in free agency, they didn't have to do anything. They added Ricky Seals-Jones, a tight end, which we know that that's not really going to do anything. They lost Blake Bell. So they're just adding a depth piece behind Travis Kelly. Kelsey. They had DeAndre Washington, which at one point said, hmm, maybe this is going to be something, but based on their draft pick of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, not going to be anything. Really, not much. Like they lose Cam Murmuring in free agency. They add Mike Remmers, and then they end up getting Lucas Niang in the draft. So just some reshuffling of the offensive line. But other than that, it's just a bunch of backup pieces outside of the NFL draft where they got the Lucas Niang draft pick to tackle. And then the big one, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the only running back taken in the first round. So in my opinion, none of this actually impacts McCole Harmon. The only things in free agency that would were just re signing current players, restructuring Sammy Watkins' contract and then bringing back Demarcus Robinson for one year. I would have said that it was unlikely probably right around the time of the Super Bowl, right after the Super Bowl, that both of those things were to happen, if any of them. And then they both end up happening and just knocks McCall Harmon's, at least it caps his upside or how quickly he can pop off, or at least the likelihood that he pops off like week one or week two, when those two guys are still in front of him. And even if they're not in front of him, once the season comes right now on paper, based on what we saw last year, you have to at least chart it down that you would expect them to play similar snaps to the Marcus Robinson or similar to less. So the target competition is going to be Travis Kelsey. It's going to be Tyree Kill, Watkins and Robinson. Those are the main guys that we talked about. And then Clyde Edwards, you can talk about out of the backfield, but Harmon has yards per target and yards per reception in the Cape is mainly going to be targeted downfield where the guys like Tyree Kill, who played 74% of the snaps last year, he only played in 12 games, but he was seventh in yards per route run. You can see he had a 21.9% target share, scored seven touchdowns on 58 receptions, 860 yards. He was sixth in separation. I mean, these guys are insane. McCall Harmon led the league in separation and Tyree Kill was sixth. That's how good this offense is. So when these guys are just speed demons getting behind the offense and you have the best quarterback in football with the best arm, it's just an easy game when you're getting so much separation with so much talent at both wide receiver and quarterback. And that's why you win a Super Bowl and you're probably going to win more. Then he was fifth in fantasy points per route while you had McCall Harmon being number one. So two top five receivers in that regard. Kelsey, 94% of the snaps. Kelsey was the tight end one last year and it didn't even seem like he was having a great year. He was just week in and week out consistent. 97 receptions, over 1,200 yards, six touchdowns. Absolutely insane on 136 targets. Pretty much led tight ends in every single one of those departments. Just an elite beast as the tight end one last year. And for some reason, for some reason, it just seemed like he was just having an average season, which is insane. Sammy Watkins last year had the big, big, big week one and did nothing after that. He finished with 19.7% of the target share, pretty much started the season big, and then he finished the season big, burning Richard Sherman in the Super Bowl to get a huge reception. So uh, closed the book in between, not much really happened for him. 52 
receptions. He had 673 yards and three touchdowns. Marcus Robinson averaged 6.7 fantasy points per game. Even though in week two, he went for six catches, 172 yards and two touchdowns. He went absolutely off for like 40 plus fantasy points, but that was his only game over 56 receiving yards. And that kind of let him stay in that wide receiver three role when he factor him. Just he had a huge week. It put him ahead of McCall Harmon on the depth chart a little bit. Although he was already there, it just kind of sustained it. And then you have Sammy Watkins dealing with injury, Tyree Kill going down for a few weeks. And he just kind of kept this role and for the entire year. So I'm, I'll be very suspect to see if he does continue to keep that role with now McCall Harmon entering his second year with Demarcus Robinson, not really doing much after just week two of last season. He had 32 receptions on 55 targets. He played on 70.5% of the snaps. He got three touchdowns, 673 yards. And then what I'll say right now is he only had two games over 10 fantasy points. And I'll put this picture on the board. Are you really not going to draft this guy late in your drafts? in the 11th, in the 12th round, where he's currently going right now. This man who came into the Super Bowl looking icy fresh, as you can see right here, you're not going to draft him. If you're really not going to be targeting this man in the upside that he possesses in the later rounds, which is where you should be targeting upside, and these outfits that he wears to get you all excited before he go and watch him just burn players for the number one yards per reception and all these downfield, huge fantasy points, rocket ship shooting off, breakout wide receivers. Ask yourself right now, what am I doing with my life if I'm not drafting McCole Hardman? Yeah, so I've got a man crush on DK Metcalf. He's another breakout receiver for me. I, I honestly do believe, so the guys that we've already talked about, I think they obviously have upside. I like them a lot, especially based on their ADP. But I think DK Metcalf, if you're talking about maybe if we're sitting here a year from now or maybe two years from now, give him an extra year. I think he could be already a top like five, six wide receiver in the league. Like he could take those Mike Evans type strides that Evans took where he had a couple of good seasons, one or two to begin with. And then you're like, this guy's just an absolute monster. Like this is a borderline top five, top six receiver in the league. Those types of things. I think DK Metcalf, he can definitely be a top 10 receiver by one to two years from now, but he has the upside in him to be a top five receiver. He just has that build. He's an absolute monster. 6'3", 230 pounds, just a beast. And then you also factor in his 99th percentile speed score, according to player profile with a 4.33. He fits all the builds of the Julio Jones of the world, the big physical receivers. And last year, you saw just the most beautiful evolution of route running that you can see out of a rookie from week one, all the way up until their final playoff game against the Green Bay Packers. From weeks one to week four, one, two, three, four, he's just running go routes up the left side of the field. Very rookie friendly routes. You don't got to do anything you're big you're physically fast just get open based on separation and speed alone after that he starts getting creative with his routes towards the middle to end of the year and in the playoffs he was running the entire route tree it seemed crossing the field playing on both sides of the field playing out of the slot it just looks so beautiful and that's what happens as quickly as you can develop your route running and your route tree and you, you pair that up with just your physical specimen of speed size and weight and physicality he's going to be an absolute stud this year there's no questions asked about it last season he played on 87 percent of the snaps as a rookie he had 58 receptions on 100 targets it was a 20.3 percent target share. He got seven touchdowns and 900 yards. That's very good for a rookie. He was number one in the entire NFL in end zone targets with 18. And he was only second behind DJ Moore with 18.6 end zone target percentages. DJ Moore, a whopping 26.5, another breakout candidate already kind of broke out last year though. But yeah, I, I do think that DK Metcalf was an absolute stud last year. Again, he started to really come on in the playoffs because his route tree just opened up. He out-targeted Tyler Lockett towards the second half of the season, starting in week nine, all the way up into the playoffs, out-targeted him by a decent amount. And you really saw the spike of that at the last game of the season in week 17, where he saw a 30% target share in that game. Absolutely insane. Russell Wilson, of course, the most efficient quarterback that we've seen probably in the NFL in the last three to five years. And now he's going to have an efficient quarterback and an efficient offense that usually favors the run. But Wilson's been able to uh, support top receivers, whether it's Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett for five years now. And a big way in which he's able to support them is, is finishing off drives with touchdowns. He's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in NFL history in touchdown percentage. Russell Wilson is last year he had a 6% touchdown rate. And even that felt bad, although a 6% touchdown rate is one of the highest that you'll find in the league. It just regressed off of the 7 and 8% touchdown rates that he was putting up the years before. Like yes, Lamar Jackson balled out last year, but Russell Wilson was a very strong MVP candidate up until like week 12 or 13 when he laid a dud in one of his games and Lamar just kept going off. So what did the Seahawks do in free agency? 
Well, I mean, they keep adding tight ends, whether it's in the draft with two tight ends, whether it's uh, getting Greg Olson a free agency. The only thing that's really going to impact DK is Philip Dorsett, if anything. But I think all Philip Dorsett does is in three wide receiver sets, they still have David Moore out there, who really didn't show much last year after dealing with some injuries. But I think it's just going to make it so that Tyler Lockett plays a ton out of the slot, continues to do that. DK Metcalf primarily on the outside and Philip Dorsett on the outside. And man, oh man, they got a bunch of burners on their team. DK, uh, Philip Dorsett, Tyler Lockett. These are all guys who are running like 4-3-40 times, especially Dorsett. I mean, he's one of the fastest players in the entire league, or at least he was when he came out. They added a lot of offensive line help because that's what they needed. Their offensive line was not good. Hashtag bad last year. So that should only help more plays downfield and big plays if they can just get more time for Russell Wilson. But it almost doesn't matter. He's a magician, so he continues to have really good deep ball accuracy. He continues to find guys like DK Metcalf deep down the field. So what is the target competition for a guy like DK Metcalf? Well, right now it's going to be Tyler Lockett, number one, Philip Dorsett, and then just list off all the tight ends, right? Greg Olson, Jacob Hollister, Will Disley. I mean, you could throw Chris Carson as a running back into that, but mainly Tyler Lockett, Philip Dorsett, and probably Greg Olson will be the target competition for DK Metcalf. Lockett last year played 93% of his snaps. The majority of those came out of the slot. He was very efficient as well. Only 82 receptions on 110 targets. Very similar to DK. DK only had 10 less targets, but again, second half of the year, DK out-targeted Lockett. Lockett goes over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. He does this on only a 22.3% target share. So he has eight touchdowns, which was like tied for third or fourth in the NFL. Only three players in the entire NFL went for 10 or more touchdowns last year, which might be pretty shocking to you. Three players out of wide receivers and tight ends, not counting running backs, of course. They get just a lot, lot more opportunities uh, from being able to both run the ball and catch the ball, especially in the red zone. But Lockett produces those numbers on just 110 targets. So that's how efficient he was. And DK started to become the alpha wide receiver at week nine on last year for Russell Wilson. So we're set in 2019 with the Patriots. He ended up playing in just 11 games. He had 29 receptions, saw a 13% target share, did catch five touchdowns. He was very useful in terms of just red zone usage and then just in terms of just around the 50 yard line, Tom Brady started to look to Dorsett a decent amount in the first half of the season. Then injuries plagued pretty much the entire team. And that's why he only played 11 games. He finished with a line of 29 receptions, 397 yards and five touchdowns. And then Greg Olson, I mean, he played a ton last year, 83% of the snaps. He had a pretty good year. 81 targets, had about 600 yards, 597, 52 receptions and two touchdowns. Battled a little bit of an injury, missed two games, only played in 14 of them, but he still saw 22.8% red zone share, which I think is well to use in most of this year, 15.5% overall target share. So in my opinion, DK Metcalf is the number one receiver on this team. Oh, you're crazy, Sal. It's Tyler Lockett. No, I mean, I've been looking very deeply into this. I've been following a lot of things literally from about week 10 on last year, including the playoffs. You can go back and watch those games, whichever ones you want to watch, especially the one against the Packers at the end, including the playoffs. DK Metcalf is the number one receiver on these teams. Yes, Tyler Lockett is a very talented receiver. They can be 1A, 1B for all I care. But if you're talking about about true traditional build of a number one receiver, a Julio Jones, a Calvin Ridley, just these monster gargantuan wide receivers, Mike Evans, all these guys, DeAndre Hopkins, the size, speed, and physicality combination of them makes you a true wide receiver one. Tyler Lockett is very good. He's one of the best slot receivers in the entire league when he actually goes into the slot, which we can kind of say that about any elite wide receiver if they go into the slot, but he's very good. He doesn't have the one thing and really a few things that DK Metcalf has, size, in physicality and just outpowering your defensive back. He doesn't have that. And he's just never going to be able to do that based on just the body that he's in. Whereas DK Metcalf, as you saw last year, can get his route running up. And if he gets his route running up to a bubbly average, which it's already kind of getting there, if not already there, it is very scary to see what DK Metcalf's going to do. He's a breakout wide receiver for me. I cannot wait to watch him play this season. Do me a favor. If you're still watching, hit the like button and smash the subscribe button as I come out of the screen right now. It really does help me grow. So I appreciate that. Hop into the free discord down below. You can check that out. Ask me any questions that you have. Thank you so much. Appreciate 
appreciate all those subscribe buttons. If you're listening on the podcast version, take a second, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, do all those things for me. I really do appreciate that. My breakout wide receiver number four is going to be Deontay Johnson. I can't wait to watch this kid play either. I mean, there's a lot of upside. Now he's getting so hyped up to the point that I'm worried that by the time the drafts come, that he's going to be too overhyped. And now Juju starts to become a value. But as of right now, as I record this at the end of May, Deontay Johnson is a very good value for you. You can check where it changes, but I, I think at, at for the most part, he'll be a top wide receiver value as the season goes on. Not a lot of people, not a lot of casuals are privy. The fish are privy to the fact of what Deontay Johnson was doing as the number one receiver in this offense last year. Yes, ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, Juju was hurt for, for some games, but Deontay also didn't start the season as a starting wide receiver until week three or four when, De- when Dante Moncrief lost his starting job. So Deontay Johnson last year, he does officially technically play 16 games, but it was really 12 games as a starter. 67% of the snaps on 18.9% target share, which led the team. Obviously, you can throw a lot of all this out for the whole entire Steelers offense because for 90% of the year or more, they were playing without Big Ben and playing with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. And the most exciting thing that happened for those was Mason Rudolph getting assaulted on the field by Miles Garrett. So not that great when that's your highlight of your season, or at least the thing that sticks with you the most when you think about Mason Rudolph. But he saw 92 targets. He had 680 yards and five touchdowns. He also had a special teams touchdown. While he was at Toledo in 2018, the guy was really good. 653 special teams yards and two touchdowns. If you excel in special teams in college, I'm thinking Joe Reed, a guy who got drafted by the Chargers in the fifth round this year as a sleeper. Like those types of players, if you excel and you get a chance in the NFL, it usually means that you're already ahead of the curve. It usually means that you have another skill set that sets you apart. One, to get on rosters in the field a little bit more in the NFL and actually make the roster because you could play special teams and play the wide receiver position or at least give something there a little bit more than the wide receiver. You have just more skills. You're more versatile, but also it just correlates. The more that we see players coming out of the draft, if they have a good special teams background, it correlates with their success that they'll have in the NFL. Deontay Johnson was tied with McCole Hartman, another guy we've talked about in separation target separation. So that's fantastic. And he was number two at breaking tackles, which might be because of the special teams background. So he did that all as a rookie, just an absolute beast last year. You can see now Scott Barrett's tweet of just how he kind of started to outwork Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju dealt with some injuries, but pretty much from week three to week 10, when Scott tweeted this last year, you saw just a better overall quarterback rating when targeted, as you can see down towards the bottom of the screen, wide receiver rating 130.8 compared to Juju's just 87.7. So he was much more efficient than Juju. And that could pretty much be seen by the higher overall yards per route run number 1.69 compared to Juju's 1.55 at the bottom of the screen. He faced the third toughest cornerbacks in, in terms of just top 20 cornerbacks faced during that time as well. And he was still able to outproduce his teammate, Juju Smith-Schuster. It's just showing that this guy has a ton of talent. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he was a rookie. He has a ton of talent and he's about to break the hell out when big Ben Roethlisberger comes to town. Now, what did they do in the offseason? Well, they had to chase Claypool in the draft. The second round pick for them was their first pick for offense on that side of the ball and overall in the draft. So that's not really, in my opinion, going to hurt as much as it hurts James Washington, as much as it hurts some of the other depth wide receivers. In free agency, they had Eric Ebron in the middle of the field, just going to be playing with Vance McDonald. Maybe they go more 12 personnel, two tight end sets. Not sure I really buy into that. And then they lost some offensive line, Nick Fidetta blocking tight end, nothing really in general, uh, in major losses in terms of subtractions. Now, their offensive line last year took a hit in terms of the run blocking, but their pass blocking unit, again, was one of the better ones in the entire NFL, and they're going to need that to help big men find his guys like Juju, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, all these players down the field. So what is the target competition for Deontay Johnson? Well, it's Juju Smith-Schuster, the man who in his rookie season finished as a top five wide receiver, who finished right there with his other teammate in Antonio Brown at the time, and also had 1,400 yards as a rookie, just an absolute beast. He has James Washington, Chase Claypool, the other wide receivers, and then the tight ends and Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald. You could throw James Conner into that as a pass catcher running back if you'd like. I'm not going to. 
you for the matters of this video. So Juju last year played 80% of the snaps, missed a few games, saw an 18.3% target share, only had three touchdowns on 72 targets. But again, in 2018, he balled out as 1,400 yards with Big Ben. And remember that offense were only one year, one full season removed from the last healthy season for Big Ben. He led the league in passing for 5,000 yards, led the league in attempts. Uh, when you factor in his three rushing touchdowns was number two in overall touchdowns. Like this was an offense that was clicking. So it's so odd to me that now the majority of the people and the sentiment that I'm getting is Big Ben missed all of last year. He's too old now. I don't buy into that, right? You have 40-year-old quarterbacks thriving in the league right now with Tom Brady, with Drew Brees, with borderline Phillip Rivers at this point. Why can't Big Ben, who just took a season off, who still has a very good offensive line and a lot of great weapons out there, succeed this season? Why is it automatically that we think, or at least one person or two people think, so now it's automatically groupthink, that Big Ben's just not going to be good this year? And now everybody's lower on Juju, and nobody's touching Deontay Johnson, and James Conner's going to be automatically a bust this season. But what happens if Big Ben is half of what he was that season? Well, now he's a league average quarterback, and that surely will sustain their production. Or what happens if Big Ben is just the same player with maybe a little bit of a knock for the two years of aging, year and a half of aging, and he's 90% of Big Ben? Well, now you're looking at guys who are wildly underpriced in Juju and Deontay, and mainly Deontay Johnson going in the double digit rounds right now. Last year, James Washington, some more target competition, had 79 targets, 16.9% of the target share, 735 yards and three touchdowns. I think he'll mainly be cut into by Chase Claypool, the new rookie who I'll throw up his college profile, but you can see last year had over a thousand yards and 13 touchdowns on a whopping 28.6% of the target share for Notre Dame. He's profiled out just based on his size and height. And you can see all of this as a, a, a tight end, but they said that they want to use him as an outside receiver. And now he's, he technically came into the draft as a wide receiver, but a lot of analysts were pretty much touting him up to say he could probably play tight end and that would be a better fit for him in the NFL. And then they get Eric Ebron who regressed off of the big 14 touchdown season when he was with Andrew Luck. He struggled with the team last year, worst quarterback play, quit on the team with a couple games left. So those are four breakout wide receivers for you. The honorable mentions that I'll just quickly say, Nikhil Harry, second year, former first round pick with the New England Patriots. People are just so low on them. I get it. I understand why you're low on them. But if Jared Sinem is just not going to be the worst quarterback in the league, like everybody thinks so, Nikhil Harry, then the former first round pick, number one outside receiver on the Patriots is going to benefit. And then Hollywood Brown, the number one receiver on his team. And then you have Anthony Miller, the number two receiver on his team who started to break out down the stretch last season, if he could just stay healthy. So those are three honorable mentions. Those are four deep dives on uh, some breakout wide receivers. Please do hit the subscribe button before you go, whether you're listening on the podcast version or the YouTube version. If you're listening on YouTube, the big old subscribe button just popped up. Hit that like button, smash the notification bell, and let me know your answer to the question of the day right now down below. Would you rather have Hollywood Brown, the guy that I just quickly name dropped as an honorable mention in this video, or would you rather have Debo Samuel for the 2020 fantasy football season? Let me know down below. I appreciate you tuning into this video. Also, let me know any feedback that you have for my content. If you enjoy it, whatever it might be, you can let me know all of that down below. My name is Sal. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you all in the next one.